Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a whoop? No Man Presents, live from the Nudie Bar, the Married with Children Podcast. Hello, Married with Children Podcast fans. This is Steven, co-host of the Married with Children Podcast. From seasons 8 to 11, what does married children mean to us? To find the answer, we must hearken back to earlier times. You see, kids, while the cave woman sat around getting fat, smoking and watching the Phil Jamin show, the cave man braved the elements, risking life and limb on this prehistoric feast. In 1492, Columbus brought married with children to America, and the women still did nothing. And that's what Married with Children means to me. Uh, let's discuss the show because Married with Children means a lot to me. And I felt honored over the last few years to be a part of the podcast that I grew to love and listen to. Now, real quick, I want to analyze the characters. Al, he didn't start out as an idiot, but rather the typical alpha male who wanted to dominate to get respect. He likes to go fishing. He likes to go bowling. Likely to get away from Peck. By the time you read this, there will be nothing you can do about it. (laughs) I was called away on an emergency fishing trip. I'll be away a week. I wouldn't blame you if you took the kids and left me. But if you do, take the dog, too. I guess this is goodbye. Love, Al. Now sit up, shut up, and brace yourself. But wait a second, Peg. Remember, the kids are here. Now, if you want to have sex, they'll have to leave. And if you want it to be good, you'll have to leave. I also love it when he tries to take his shoe salesman job seriously, because he really doesn't. He knows it's not going to get him anywhere. Come on, Arnold. We're leaving. I want a blue. You've already got one. I've had a rotten day, and I'm in a foul mood. A fat woman came in and said she was a size five. I shoved her hoof into a shoe. My thumb got stuck in the back of the shoe. She panicked, reared up, and galloped around the store, dragging me on the floor behind her. Thank God a stick of butter popped out of her purse. I was able to grease my way out of it. You'll never guess what happened at the shoe store today. Tongue caught in the shoe sizer again? <laughs> you civilians never realize what a highly sophisticated piece of equipment All that is. Right, tell me what happened. And Al's parenting skills, you know, they're not the best. But he does have some good advice for his kids. Well, I'm ovulating. <laughs> and when this happens, I get this pinching little cramp. What should I do? Walk it off. And remember, the next time, stretch before you ovulate. (laughs) Bud. No problems here, Dad. Son, let me tell you something about revenge. 
Now, this is something that you're going to have to learn before you can truly call yourself a man. Revenge is great. (laughs) It's phenomenal. It's the only thing that separates us from the animals. It's why I stay with your mother. Now, son, if you have a chance to get back at a girl who has wronged you, do it. Do it now, do it good, do it twice. There'll be many women in your life, son, but the one you got revenge on will always be the sweetest of them all. He misses his high school glory days when he scored four touchdowns in one game. I scored, son. The winning touchdown. And son, that's the story of the greatest sport moment in all of history. You know, Dad, some say your knee was down before you crossed that goal. My knee was not down! That's a dirty, stinking lie! As the series progressed, though, I really started to get dumber. And that was one thing I didn't care about. I don't like character betrayal. And now for Margaret Peggy Winker Bundy, the laziest bitch in Chicago. Let's clear up a few misconceptions. There are two things Peggy Bundy doesn't do. Number one, cook, clean, sew, vacuum, iron, and parent. And number two, exercise. One consistent thing was her own selfishness. If Al earned money, she spent it. If he hit some, she would find it. Peg, let me ask you something. In your travels in the backyard, say about eight paces from the tree, 12 feet down. Did you ever find a box with, say, oh, about uh, $5,000 in it? Was that yours? Peg, how could you spend $4,200? Well, you remember when you yelled at me because there wasn't any juice in the house? Well, I took some money and I bought you juice. (laughs) And a coat for me. And then remember when you demanded dinner? Well, I took some more money and I bought you a bucket of chicken (laughs) and a coat for mom. (laughs) And then the rest of it, well, uh, I have to admit, I spent foolishly. (laughs) You are really mad about this? If anyone should be mad, it's me. You're the one who's hiding money from me. Well, you would have spent it. Then why are you acting so surprised? (laughs) Then she just loves to complain about Al's lovemaking. What is it about men? They have perfectly good wives at home, and yet they have to look at women like these. Well, I guess every now and then a guy who drives a Dodge likes to close his eyes and imagine it's a Ferrari. would that make to you? You don't know how to drive. However, Peg does love Al. Mom, did this ever happen to you when you dated? Uh, yes. Once. I was out with your dad and we saw this really cool boy that I was dating out with another girl. So I had your daddy beat him up. (laughs) You know, that's what I love about your dad. He's like a big stupid guard dog. (laughs) He didn't even ask why he was beating the guy up. He just loved it so. 
One thing that bugged me in seasons 8 through 10, though, was that she was more of a spectator and not a real agent in the show. She was often sitting on the sidelines, many times with Marcy, to comment on what Al Jefferson, the kids, and No Man members were doing and to prepare the audience for a laugh. And then she was gone for roughly half of season 10, and she was also gone for six. But overall, though, Al and Peg do show their love for each other and their commitment. Kelly, in the first season and a half, was a typical ladies teen. She was addicted to the phone, boy crazy, and a little dense. She didn't like school. She didn't try. But then it starts to really change in the latter half of the second season when she became dumb. At first, her stupidity was limited to simple facts and knowledge and a misguided attempt at logic. What about these three pages of toll calls to the heavy metal hotline? (laughs) Oh, then that must have been me, Dad. But I was saving you money. How did you do that, pumpkin? (laughs) Well, because they said that it's $3 for the first minute and 50 cents for each additional minute. So rather than get charged extra, I'd hang up after a minute and then call back. (laughs) Well, at least she's trying, Al. (laughs) And, of course, her malapropisms. Well, I liked her venture into the modeling school and the Larry Storch School of Acting. I hated Verminator, and from what I understand, Christina Applegate didn't like it either. However, in season 11, the stupidity is off the charts and not funny. Also, by this time, even when you're in season 9, 10, and 11, you know, Christina Applegate, or Kelly, is really a young woman, and now it's not cute anymore. You know, before it was cute wasn't after that. Now, Bud, he did not start out as the perpetual loser who never gets laid. Sure, he was girl crazy, but without a role model, he did not know how to rein it in. That was great comedic fodder. The idea of him being smart and going to college was great as it is juxtaposed to his intellect with his perpetual horniness. Season six was the invention of Burgermeister B. Uh, I mean, Grand Marshal B. Or was it Bedwetter B? Do it for me, B. Give me your rap. the streets where everyone's meat guns in the night put you under a sheet can't love no one cuz he's on the run sleeps in the alleys wakes by the sun listen to the sirens thinking that for me it's a lonely life for grandmaster b yes a lonely life for grandmaster b well look my little man is getting his first kiss you're the coolest grandma b That's Grandmaster B. Look, babe, I think I'm going to have to rat my way out of the rent now. Now, You go on home and wait by the phone, because if I call and you're not there, you go to the bottom of the list. (laughs) What did I tell you to? I am Grandmaster B. Grandmaster B. Mommy, I'm cool. You're ruining it for me. I'm cool. <laughs> Gee, I'm really sorry, Grand Marshal B. 
bedwetter bee. Are you sure? I thought it was court jester bee. Oh, yes, Grandmaster Bee. That was perfect for his young college-age persona, and they should have kept that going. Like Al, he never gave up, even when he kept getting shot down by the babes. Despite the jokes, we confirmed he had sex at least seven times. You have heard me repeat it in earlier episodes. Not including his counters with Isis and the mannequin in the dateless Amigo. But what do you think I found? If it's a rubber woman, Dad, I can explain. <laughs> you send away for one Archie comic, and the next thing you know, they put you on a listing. They keep... oh, but... <laughs> and there were masturbations galore without calling it that. That must be her now. A half hour early, I might add. Well, who can blame her? Sometimes I can't wait to touch myself either. <laughs> You know what I mean. <laughs> I'm afraid we do. In fact, think of the name, Grand Master B. But changed and became a straight man for Kelly, which you get to seasons 10, uh, 9, 10, and 11. Also, he was the one who had the most unfortunate luck in getting tortured, injured, and humiliated in all different ways. Marcy is probably the most unique character. She was a perky housewife. She liked sex. Of course, she liked it either with herself or with Steve, and that was shown throughout uh, the first three, three and a half seasons. She eventually grows to dislike Steve. I think it was because how Al ruined him. And after that, she had to have dominance over men, which explains her relationship with Jefferson. And with men what they are today, is it any wonder we look to the dead for a little excitement? <laughs> Believe me, Peggy, no one wishes you were alive more than I do. I've been to Graceland. I saw him in Vegas. His buns alive with magic. His voice pulsing through me, reaching my secret places. His hips undulating, swirling, grinding, driving his essence into my very soul again and again. Faster and faster until, until... Can I have a cigarette? <laughs> oh, Peggy, what am I going to do? I don't know how much longer I can hold out. But I will not give up my principles for an hour and a half of pleasure. Look, you don't have to give up any... <laughs> an hour and a half? <laughs> Let's go, Steve. Come home and service me. And God help you if you screw that up. This is your fault. You should have to go. Now, Steve. Oh, hell, Steve. Jerry, this one's for you. I love his character. He was probably the most consistent character throughout his tenure. Sure, it was only for three and a half seasons, but he was the opposite of Al. Being good in bed, a person who cared about his wife, considered himself enlightened, who tried to better himself, and thought of himself above the Bundys. He was a snobby, condescending jerk. Who is it? Stephen Bartholomew Rhodes. <laughs> 
Bartholomew. Al, I'm horny. What are you going to do about it? Get in there. Don't go yelling things like that. I got kids up there. Out there, somewhere, I don't know. I was just thinking about that moron I smacked into today. I mean, he saw our Mercedes, and yet he thought we were as poor as he was. He was willing to take a hundred bucks. Did you see the fluids gushing out of the bottom of his car? <laughs> I kill me. We've got a secret weapon. Owl in my hair! Owl in my hair! <laughs> Thus dies the house of Agamemnon. <laughs> to the yard arm, Mr. Christian. <laughs> oh, look, Father, I sat in something icky. <laughs> Al, you've got your loan. You need 50,000, you say? Well, actually, I only need 18. No, you need 50. Sign right here. We'll fill in the rest later. <laughs> and Steve's character was very consistent in his returns, except in Radio Free Tremaine. Now, Jefferson, while the show needed Jefferson to pal around with... All right, come on, you can do it, Al. First, you you put on some music, and then you turn the lights down low. Low? Yeah. Low? Yeah. But I can still see her. <laughs> hey, then they like you to slowly undress them. Then you lower her gently onto the bed, and eight hours later, it's over. Eight, eight hours? Eight hours? Oh, God, the humanity. <laughs> me, Jefferson. You can do it, big guy. No, I can't. You don't understand. It's my wife. It's just not right. It's your own fault for being so damn desirable, Al. Yes, you're right. Of course, I see that now. When my look says yes, how can I say no? I bought a 65 Mustang. You bought a 65 Mustang? Well, when are you going to get a job to drive it to? Hey, I look in the papers. It's just by the time I get up, all the good jobs are taken. Sure. Yeah, actually, I wouldn't mind having a woman as president, especially if it was you, Marcy. Because I'd make a great first lady. Yeah, and I'd have a big important issue like uh, no littering or uh, or nice hair for everyone. You know, <laughs> national hair care centers. Oh, I think I could do a lot of good being in bed with the president. <laughs> and I really believe that if anybody could, I could make them forget about Jackie Kennedy. Buck was probably the smartest of the family. I love hearing his observations from his perspective. Uh, no, Buck. That's Jefferson, not Bud. Like I give a cat's ass. Now, can I get a whoa, Bud is popular? How about a whoa, shoot the boy? <laughs> Although it got to be a bit much post-season six, and I think then it lost its novelty. Now, for my recurring characters, my favorite was Miss Hardaway. All right, I confess. I am in love with Bud Bundy. Whenever he comes in the library, I turn the heat up so he'll have to strip down to his 
tank top. <laughs> when he returns a book late, I always hope he'll say, I've been a bad boy, Miss Hardaway. <laughs> Spank me hard. Because Beverly Archer took the role with such enthusiasm. I wish they would have used her character more than just her two appearances. It's hard to say that I like her better than Griff. Griff is probably an, another one of my all-time rec favorite recurring characters. Because he overwhelmed me. But how'd you like to be overwhelmed by Griff? The show, what I loved about it was its irreverence and how it subverted all expectations of a family sitcom. And that kind of goes with the legacy of the show. Uh, a long time ago when I was doing youth ministry, I had this magazine I subscribed to and a survey was done of students asking them, what TV family do you most identify with? And it was kind of surprising that most kids, the, the number one and two answers was one, Roseanne. The number two answer was married with children. In other words, that's what kids are growing up in. They're not growing up in the Cosby family. They're not growing up in the Seavers family. No, um, you know, married with children was dark, but it presented a more accurate representation of family life here in America. And I think that's what Michael Moyer was going for. Not true, it got away from that towards the latter part of the seasons, but that's what Married with Children does. That will be its legacy of being a dark comedy that really can make you laugh. Oh, we're doomed. He's going to want to spend time with us now. <laughs> God, that movie makes you think. Family meeting. <laughs> Family, comes a time in the life of every man... Can we just skip through the speech, Al, and get straight to the punishment that you will inflict upon us for being your family? <laughs> what is it this time, honey? Families are meant to be together. Well, we don't want to be together. You have no choice. <laughs> I dedicate today as Bundy Sunday Fun Day. <laughs> and so it ends. <laughs> now, here's the plan. We're going to take... A Sunday drive. Don't make me kill you on family day. <laughs> now I say we all put on our finest clothes. We're in them. Pack ourselves some vittles. We have none. And pile in the car for a day of fun, a day of family, a day of love. And finally, on a personal note, the show had a huge impact on me. And it was actually after the series ended and FX started to show reruns of it again. Then it was the early 2000s. I really started to go through some tough times. I don't want to go into those, but I watched them again, and it was a big comfort. It helped me laugh, forget about my problems, and it reminded me that no matter how bad life is, that uh, mine wasn't worse than Al, uh, Al Bundy's was worse. And I want to thank Alex for starting this vision that drew people from all over the United States and all over the world together. It's amazing how one show can have a sh give us such a powerful shared experience in laughter and in fun. I want to thank Luigi for being one of the best organizers that you can find out there. Annabelle for her endless amount of energy and uh, knowledge of the show. Also, Matt, big thanks to him. He cranked out a lot of these podcasts, uh, doing his own producing, and he was a good one. And he knew how to lead one, too. And like him, I have a very big love of South Park myself. 
I want to thank a, a real big thanks to Tyler, my podcast partner, as well as Stefan, who really came in to add a dimension. And of course, uh, I also want to thank Chris. Uh, he was able to arrange a lot of those interviews. He is one of the most unique people I have ever met. I kid you not. I've had the pleasure of meeting Tyler and Chris in person, and I hope to meet all of them in person someday. It might be a while before I get to Australia, though. So I just want to leave you with this one final thought. The one thing everyone needs to remember, and that is... Remember the Bundy credo. A Bundy never wins, but a Bundy never quits.